Our guest today is Raymond Ye, who's the founder of Wielded and is a serial entrepreneur, joining us all the way from Singapore. A very warm welcome, Raymond. Thank you, Kaushik. Thanks for having me here. So, of course, the discussion today is around AI and while artificial intelligence itself has been there for a long time, AI became mainstream, uh, what I believe was on the launch of ChatGPT, which happened on November 30th, uh, 22. And as soon as we saw that, we saw a whole slew of LLM activities within a few months. Uh, Amazon am announced a $4 billion funding into Anthropic, which eventually launched Claude. Microsoft launched uh, Cosmos One with integration into Office. Um, Google launched its MedPalm, Meta, Llama, Salesforce, Einstein GPT, Bloomberg with an LLM trained on financial data. And all of this happened in less than four months. So I have absolutely no doubt that the AI that we are using today will be the worst version of AI that we will ever use. But now coming to it, because you've got considerable amount of experience working with cutting edge technologies as well. You've been a blockchain developer for six years. So what got you started on the AI journey? I see. Um, so in my previous uh, company, uh, we are in the fintech space. And um, I was really just doing the role of being a CTO, get shipping products and all. And my co-founder back then, uh, his name is Jeff. He was super excited about, you know, chatbots. And I couldn't get over, like, why is anyone even interested in chatbot? Because my experience with that was uh, terrible. It was like, uh, you know, the custom, in my mind was those customer support uh, thing that is the only thing standing between you and the human. Uh, and you had to figure out how to get past them. So that was my opinion of um, AI back then. Um, but like this guy was, uh, you know, churning out work and output that is not, uh, humanly possible. Uh, and, you know, I was just wondering if he had a, like a team of people behind him and it was not. So, uh, I was very intrigued by like how he was using AI. Um, so I, you know, kind of asked him, like, can I study a process? Like, what were you using it for? Um, and that's basically how I got started by knowing more about it. So as I left my previous role, uh, that was something that I wanted to dig deeper as well. Very interesting. So uh, in Wielded, what exactly is the problem that you're trying to solve? Mm. So I think right now, the bulk of the uh, foundational model companies, you know, Claude, um, the OpenAI, they target the individual users a lot uh, for getting them to try it out for the first time. And uh, specific to OpenAI, they also have like the enterprise plans and all. So uh, it caters to like the two ends, right? Uh, as an individual, I'm playing around with it. I might use it for a side project, maybe occasionally for work, but I'm paying it myself. Or, you know, on the enterprise side, uh, I'm, you know, getting a huge account there. I'm paying like six uh, digits and all, but there wasn't really anything in between. And honestly, a lot of companies right now are looking more towards experimenting and really just trying to figure out what, uh, what their relationship uh, with AI should be, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, my role was kind of to help them uh, figure out how they can, you know, allow uh, their own employees to experiment with AI, you know, uh, having AI-assisted workplace, uh, as well as getting the organizations to run cheap experiments within the organizations itself. Lovely. And so can you just tell us a little more about Wielded? What exactly does it do? 
um, in simple, it's really just ChatGPT for enterprise or teams, right? But beyond that, I think, um, so I get inspiration from this product actually from OpenAI forum itself, right? So uh, on the forum, there's plenty of people complaining about different uh, missing features uh, and what they want. And some of the things that they talk about is like the engineers were shipping slowly, but uh, actually that's opposite because they are shipping really fast. It's just they are shipping at the foundational model level, uh, not so much focus on the end user experience. So that was something that I wanted to, you know, enhance. So I took a certain, so I scoured through the forums to see like what were some of the uh, problems. For instance, some people wanted like team building, right? So it's something as simple as that. And you would think, hey, they would have built it, but no. Right, uh, or something like multiple uh, custom instructions, right? For people who's like uh, wearing multiple hat, uh, maybe I'm doing like a podcasting on one side and then I'm writing a blog post on the other side. It's really different custom instructions. So mm -hmm. I was just really scouring through uh, OpenAI forum to try to see what are the gaps and what's missing for it to fit into like the uh, enterprise and teams puzzle. Fantastic. And what, I mean, like this year, 24, of course, it started from last year itself, but 24 seems to be the year when there will be a ton of AI startups. Uh, the expectation is that most of them may or may not work because like we are seeing many chat GPT wrapper type, uh, you know, companies launching virtual on a daily basis. So what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, I think you're right when you started off the episode saying that, you know, this is going to be the worst uh, AI we have ever seen and it will only get better from here. So um, I think right now, everyone is just trying to figure out at all different layers, right? Because if you think about the AI stack right now, that's really just like the foundational model layer, which, you know, you don't get to play unless you have a lot of capital and, you know, uh, brain, you know, brain shares, uh, mind shares in that space. Right. Then moving out, you have like those fine tuning and custom models and things like that. And then you go, uh, that's where, you know, engineers work on Langchain and the likes of it, fine tuning. If you go further up um, a little bit more on the uh, prompt engineer and further up is then the application layer. So when we talk about uh, AI startup these days, um, most of what we encounter is really uh, at the very top where it's the, um, what do you call, uh, some people might say it's an AI wrapper but really it's just a user experience wrapper. Because on one hand, you can go very generic, um, like where uh, I'm trying to approach, but that uh, would mean that I'll give up on certain niches. On the other hand, you can go really heavily into a certain niche, like uh, for a journalist, for a content creator, for uh, or very specific to like writing a LinkedIn post, right? So that's, easy for people to experiment on and people would understand what uh, how do they use it and i guess those will be like the spearhead where ai application gets uh, used by hum uh, by people in the workplace why because um something i you know as i was speaking to my customers uh, some of them brought up when i was shown like the chat gpt page like i get a bad blank screen syndrome like I have no idea what I'm trying to do here. Um, um, maybe find me and write me an itinerary, but I'm not even traveling. So I don't know what to do here. But the moment you step onto this AI platform that says that I write LinkedIn posts, guess what? I know exactly what I'm going to do on this platform. True, true. And I love that you brought about this topic of uh, sales and marketing because I have a sales and marketing background and though I've sold tech for nearly 14 years, uh, but... I am a pretty non-tech person like me and I genuinely believe that 
solutions like chat gpt or for example even wield it since i've had a test drive with your software as well i think it's really a lifesaver if i can call it that uh, but having said that because what usually happens what people think is that chat gpt or some uh, something of that sort is just going to give you all answers which is generally not the case mm. it's more like you just uh, how shall i put it you're just bouncing ideas off mm. the chat gpt and then getting it so do you think prompt engineering will mm. be the skill of the future because that's what it is going to all be around mm. i think you bring a very interesting interesting perspective when you say when i talk to a chat gpt uh, i was you know a lot of people expect the perfect answer um so where i usually draw the line is where um you know i tell people the best uh, people who prompt and receive up great outputs from chat gpt are sharing the same traits as uh, team leaders or managers that manages well, right? Mm -hmm. They give very clear instructions and basically, oh, taking a step back, right? What makes a good, uh, what what makes ChatGPT or you know AI model like a good employee? Um, it's it has the capability of like the world context, but what it doesn't have is the context of what are you trying to achieve? What are you prioritizing on? Uh, how do you want my work to be submitted, right? So these are big question mark, and the best manager sets you up to give you all this context and you slowly learn like, oh, this is your preference. This is what our organization goes is. Uh, this is what I should be submitting, how I should be submitting my work and all of that. So now if you look at, you know, bringing back to your question on prompt engineering, then prompt engineering really is just, um, you know, how do I give you enough context so you can get your job done, right? So in that aspect, yes, right? Um, when we want, uh, you know, th there is a difference between good manager and bad manager, right? And starting prompt engineering is very much akin to, you know, st starting how to be a good manager. So it is going to be an important skill. Very interesting. And since you are mentioning around uh, being a good manager, I, I'm actually Brainbox's uh, podcast that is around leadership i myself am obsessed with it <laughs> so i actually was intrigued to see a mckinsey study recently that said that 80 percent of the leaders are actually regular users of ai in contrast just about 20 percent of the frontline employees actually leverage ai on a daily basis so it was very interesting for me because i realized that you feel it's something like probably it's the leaders who catch the trends quickly and therefore are realizing the potential of ai which probably in turn answers why there are hundreds of hundred odd companies which are laying off so many of their workforce. Is that something to do with it? Yes. Um, so without revealing one uh, with the identity of, identity of one of my clients, so they came to me with this problem, right? Uh, where they say, this is, this is a triangle of like their workforce, right? So mm -hmm. the pyramid of people. And typically you have like 10% uh, of less people that are really this, Spearhead, right? They are the one championing things, pushing, uh, pushing the organ entire organization forward, trying new experiments, uh, really upgrading themselves and their team. And then there is the middle section, which are generally the ones who are okay. I'm good to follow someone, but I'll never lead a project. I won't be like the spearhead, but I'll be the great support. Right. Um, if you need me on certain things, I'm happy to help, but don't expect new ideas or initiatives from me. 
Now, the bulk of the organization is actually the Laggards. And with this particular organization that you know, I'm talking about, um, their strategy is like, okay, um, you know, some of these are retiring soon. <laughs> so you know, let's just wait and you know, let them uh, retire. And at the same time, we want to bring more people in, in either the middle section or the top section. And if you really look at the organization structure, um, when you talk to middle manager, they are mildly interested. But, but you know they they get bought down with you know operation stuff and all but when you talk to managers they are like oh i am excited uh, i've heard about this i want to try it but i don't know where to start so yes very interesting so how would you recommend individuals and companies to start experimenting or you know like dabbling with ai mm. i guess the way um there, there's different ways that you can look at it right so um, some companies go around with like, okay, I carve out an innovation hub within the company, but then there might be issues with buying later on. Um, mm -hmm. The other way is really to observe like where are the uh, employees spending most time in right now? What are they most unhappy with doing, right? The chances is that those are great places uh, to start implementing AI because people are frustrated. They are happy to like even try it because sometimes with um, you know implementing uh, changes in an organization, the manager are usually um, you know tend to be the easier one to sell to, right? But the buying and integration part that's a little bit more difficult because people will ask, oh, but this does not work with my tool. This is not the way I do it, and this is uh, I need training and you know. I don't I'm already burdened with all this work and now you expect training and even more work right but you know if you are able to identify areas that um you know okay do this and immediately you can shave off all this work here uh they really can see some of these incentives very interesting and uh, what is the kind of you know the framework and I think you had also mentioned about uh, Microsoft founder credits so how does all of that work yeah, so with um, new, so I guess with uh, new startups, uh, that's great. Um, so there's actually a program uh, on Microsoft, uh, this Azure portal, where startup uh, founders can actually get, uh, I think, $3,000 credit, which is quite a lot, right, mm -hmm. for founders and all. So that's, uh, you get it for six months. And so since the last time we spoke, actually, uh, someone else um, actually mentioned to me also, there's another program by Microsoft called Microsoft Partners Program, which also gives you additional Azure credit. So that's mm -hmm. one way that you can rake up credits and, you know, because Azure is powering um, you know, open AI. So you actually can spend it on uh, open AI uh, API calls as well. True, true, true. Very interesting. I think this is a very useful input for many of the founders as well. Of course, uh, it's very recent now that they have launched Copilot completely, which is using GPT-4, in fact. So mm -hmm. yes, Microsoft is one of the, uh, hopefully they're one of the game changers in the AI space. Um, and how do you see AI? I mean, like, where do you see it going in probably in the next, let's say, next five years? Let's say about transforming industries and so on. Wow, uh, this is tough because um, I talked to a PhD holder uh, recently, and he was telling me uh, with the introduction of open AI and the chat GPT and all, um, it fundamentally changed the academic landscape. People who were in machine learning AI for more than five years are taking a hard time adjusting 
so they are producing less work and also less insights as compared to someone who just graduated from bachelor degree you know stepped wow. into this world without the baggage of like you know the ai and machine learning pre uh chat gpt so mm -hmm. i think that gives us a bit of insights to like the level of exponential growth um in the next uh, couple of years right so in terms of like five years time i think even in like the next one two years it's already rather hard to forecast but like what you say this is going to be the worst model of it and um but i guess um if you look towards um how enterprising uh, enterprises are uh, approaching it right now a lot of them are choosing to experiment which is great so that's where i come in but i feel that in the slightly longer term like three to five years that's where they figure out where are the most valuable places they can plug ai in where mm -hmm. it's going to be integrated with all the existing products already it might not be obvious to consumers from point to point but it's going to be built in because that's the only in differentiating factor between like organizations makes sense makes sense and where do you see the foundational models etc the advancements in that space mm. so i think with the foundational model um that's only one aspect aspects of it right if you look towards the latest uh gpt's uh, the announcement during the draft day um the introduction of the term gpt right actually and the whole gpt story can make your own gpt was a very intri uh, interesting aspects to how ai is being marketed and being sold um because found it Behind GPT, nothing really changed. It's still based on GPT 3.5, based on GPT 4, but the way we think about AI changed. Instead of like it being a conversational model, I can think of it like an app on an app store. That mm -hmm. leads to like people experimenting, hey, can I use, you know, instead of building a whole software, right, or a whole AI startup, uh, you know, that maybe reads PDF, maybe write a LinkedIn post, I can just create a GPT and share it with the world or use it for myself. So to that note, that's like how, um, you know, the advancement could look like as well without like changes to the foundational model because changes to the foundational model is just going to look a lot more like, oh, uh, more parameters being added, um, more GPU is being used for the training. Um, and then you have the war on like the data, uh, rights to the data and all that. So. Um, most people were unlikely to be affected by that, but whatever that's happening way up on the stack. Very interesting. So again, this is something that uh, people have been talking about a lot, and I think you're the right person to discuss this with. So let's talk about the GPT itself that you mentioned, right? So for example, uh, so for, I mean, just to understand and get my understanding also, right? So basically, let's say I launch a Kaushik GPT or a Brainbox GPT. So essentially, I can uh, feed in all the podcasts, et cetera, let's say the scripts, et cetera, into the model. And now when you're going to be hitting it, it'll be sounding like you're just talking to a Kaushik with Brainbox and they will actually cite examples that we had this discussion with Raymond and we discussed this. Is that correct? It's uh, So it depends is the answer. <laughs> because if you look at uh, the, GP, the underlying model behind this GPT is still like the classic GBT model with the limited context window, right? Mm -hmm. So the 
at the end of the day, it's what fits into the context window that is going to change how um, how much information that you can fit into. Now, um, Cowshit and Brimbox has a lot of production, and mm -hmm. I dare say it's going to be outside of the context window, right? So, mm -hmm. in fact, why GPT was such an innovation because uh, it you know performs this thing called RAG, right? Retrieval Augmented Generation. Basically, instead of trying to fit all your podcasts into this context window, which you couldn't, you mm -hmm. actually store it on a database outside of it, and you're just querying like relevant uh, information. So what, so for instance, like if you're doing a, you know, Cowsheet Consultant uh, GPT, it's mm -hmm. going to first query and see, hey, where are the most uh, relevant maybe podcasts uh, that I can, or blog posts that I can, you know, extract information from. I pull all this out and then I try to fit it into a context window, send it in, and then it generates the output. So now this looks um, somewhat straightforward, but the way you perform this um, also matters, right? Because sometimes mm -hmm. the initial output might not give you the right answer or something that makes sense. So you might want to do further information retrieval or you know get back in and out again. So underneath the GPT idea, it's um, so this really abstracted all these things away from the consumer or even developer. So even developer experience has been heightened since like the idea of assistant uh, came out because you don't have to do all of this manually now. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And so will this be able to catch uh, audio content as well or will it be primarily around the written piece? Mm. So if you look at the idea of like GPT or, you know, LLM in general, LLM really stands for large language model. So it, everything in it was trained uh, with text, right, in mm -hmm. mind. So, uh, but then there's also the concept of like a multimodal uh, model, right? Mm -hmm. So what does a multimodal mean, right? Uh, besides like, oh, I, I can do image, I can do audio and all that. So there is like, think of it as like a translator. When I have audio coming in, I'm translating it into text. When I got a picture in, I'm translating into text before passing it into you know, the middle as a language model. And then in the output, right, I can also have like a translator that translate text out again into um, audio or even image. That's how DALI works. Uh, that's how like a whisper works. Right, right. And I think okay, that's exactly, I mean, the fusion, but probably initially it'll be, do you think that initially it is going to be something that'll be more text-based and then as and when, like we are seeing runways and all of these coming out with amazing uh, video tools and video AI solutions. So do you see that happening later or do you see it happening around the same time? Hmm. So I guess for the mass consumers, probably around the same time. But at the current moment, I'm also aware that there are some startups that are trying to train their own model uh, in specific domain. So take, for instance, like medical imaging uh, or geospatial imaging, something that, you know, our LLM or, you know, the existing data just doesn't untrained on and they don't know how to read, a, let's say, x-ray uh, results, for instance. So mm -hmm. there are the, there are startups uh, in that area that are doing that uh, as we speak, but it's unlikely going to be from the same company. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. And what's your take on the chip war that is already ongoing, if I can call it, with NVIDIA and the others? Yeah, that is awkward because 
um, it's it's something very political, and um, I think right now all the countries are also trying to acquire their own chips, um, uh, because if you look at uh post um the that day on Open AI, um, I think they started imposing a wait list for the GPT plus. Now it's like I want to pay twenty dollars per month to a company, and I have to be placed on a wait list. Okay. Um, and the reason is they are just out of capacity, right? Um, there's just so much demand for it, uh, whether it's recreational or whether it's for production use in enterprise. Um, there's just so much demand for it that they have to, you know, start putting a you know, bottleneck on the personal use uh, kind of like accounts. And, um, and the reason is just because there's not enough chips and computing power to really run the model. Because training, training the model, you know, takes computing power, but it's not the end of it. Running the model also requires like the GPUs and all of that. So for them to scale like the application for everyone to be able to use it, that also means they need more chips. And from what I understand that uh, different countries are getting involved in this fight. So uh, coming from Singapore, so we recently uh, released this uh, National AI Strategy 2023 report where we talk about how, you know, one of our strategies is also acquiring chip, right? Uh, getting into direct relationships into uh, NVIDIA, uh, you know, inviting the CEO over to the country, making sure that there are chip supplies for our data center and all of that. So the chip war is intense. Um, we really don't know how that would turn out, but it can really be very political. Very interesting. So that's a very, very interesting way to actually end the webinar. And thanks once again, Raymond. Really appreciate you having taken the time out and come across for our first Brainbox webinar. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.